Thank you. Good morning, folks. How are we doing? Good to be together. Welcome to King's House. You are here at uh, the start of a new series that we are going to be looking at, the subject of culture. Now, this has been an incredibly significant topic for us over the years because around about 10 years ago, we went on a journey to start to work out how do we define, how do we explore, how do we articulate the way that we want to live. And uh, it all started actually with Simon being on holiday and picking up a book from somebody else's bookshelf. Happened to be this book called The Starbucks Experience. And uh, this particular book, um, it starts to detail the way that Starbucks uh, from a small uh, part of Washington in one particular kind of coffee shop became a worldwide phenomenon. And uh, in actual fact, you will see right across the world now the Starbucks brand and uh, the Starbucks coffee shops all over the place. But they didn't do it but based on just fancy business strategies. But what we started to see through this book was it was through the fact that actually it was individuals who got caught up in a culture that Starbucks staff wanted to implement. And um, we kind of came back and, and, and just saw some of the stories, and we're just inspired by them. And so Simon put it in my hand saying, you've got to read this. Look what's happening. And so I began to read some of the stories. In fact, even this last week, I've started picking it up and reading again some of the amazing things that the Starbucks staff did. I'll give you a few examples. There was one particular lady who worked in, walked into a Starbucks coffee shop, stopped at the counter, but looked particularly flat that day. And so the barista who was there, you know, seeing that she looked slightly fragile, a little bit teary, sort of said, hey, can I, can I help you? What can I get you? She was obviously overwhelmed by the menu and simply asked for a plain black coffee. So paused for a minute, you could tell she was a little bit fragile, and then went away and decided instead to bring her back a toffee nut latte. And simply said to her, do you know what? This is a day for you to have a toffee nut latte, and this is on us. Now, little did he know until he got a, a huge bunch of flowers at the store a few days later, along with a letter that simply said, from that lady, saying, thank you for saving my life. That really, really was a very bad day. And it was that simple act of kindness that transformed her. There was another lady called Lydia, who was a regular visitor in a particular Starbucks coffee shop. And uh, uh, she would kind of go in and actually met her boyfriend, then fiancé, and then husband in the coffee shop. And so the, the, the uh, baristas started to get to know them a little bit. They became something of a celebrity. They had their picture up on the wall. But in their first year of marriage, the guy was actually diagnosed with cancer and sadly died just after their first anniversary. But what blew her away was the fact that at the funeral, actually in amongst the attendants, there were all of the baristas from Starbucks who were there to honor and support her in a time of greatest challenge. You see, this doesn't seem like a normal book. This isn't um, the sort of thing that you would expect to read from a business journal. Let me give you one more story. There was a lady called Mary who was a team leader, and um, she had had a really difficult time of it. Her son had been killed in a violent crime. Her husband had died of cancer. And she had lost her previous job because the company had gone bankrupt. Now, during the bus strikes, this lady was so loving to her staff that actually she would be the one who would drive around and pick up all of her, uh, the other people that she worked alongside to bring them to work. But more than that, she'd actually drive around bringing some of the regular customers into the store. But she uh, was provoked by, or she saw the fact, that there was a, um, a lottery windfall of $87 million available in the US. And so she decided that she was going to encourage everyone to pull in and let's buy tickets as a syndicate. We'll buy them together, split the winnings. But what happened was that there was a number of staff who weren't able to uh, pay. They either weren't there at the time or didn't have the money with them. And so she bought everybody's tickets together. And lo and behold, they won. 
$87 million. But what happened was that by law, she was actually able to claim the entire $87 million because of the fact that it was her who paid for the tickets, irrespective of the fact that she'd said that maybe she was buying for them for someone else. But she made the crazy decision to be able to split this money equally before all of her team. Now, CNN, one of the big US television shows, picked this up and went down to see her and said, you know, what, what's going on? Do you realize that you could have all $87 million for yourself? And her response was this. She said, we here at Starbucks work as a team and we support one another. And if I would have taken all the money, then I wouldn't have been part of the team and everything that we've been working for would be for nothing. She works in a coffee shop. You kind of think, isn't this amazing? Wow, if this was a church, I'd want to sign up, right? They've shown people how it is to love, to be considerate, to be patient, to engage with folk. And actually, that is where everything started. We're working with people here, or we're seeing people here, who have caught something of a culture. Now, this word culture, it defines the way that we want to live, okay? It comes from the Latin to cultivate. The kind of root of that, that, that phrase actually comes from to garden. So when you plant a garden, you mark out the area, and actually you define the space, and then you work out over a period of time, taking out what shouldn't be there and planting in what you do want to be there. Now, over the last few weeks, you've been hearing us articulate the vision of the church. You've been hearing us articulate, this is what we feel like God's taking us to. But, you know, in reality, any of that stuff, good though it might seem, do you know what? feels a little bit shallow unless we work out that we're becoming a people who are going to own this stuff and are being transformed on the inside as well. I don't, I don't just want to do it to be able to tick a box and achieve something. We might have the best spanking building here in Bedford, but actually if God hasn't transformed us on the inside in terms of our culture, in terms of our character, in terms of our behaviors, then actually I think we've missed the point. It's not enough you know, for us to have a glossy pamphlet talking about the five ways in which we want to live unless they're ingrained on us. And you might have been here an awful long time. You might have been here and you might have gone the journey with us. It was around about 2009 when we started this journey. But actually, it's important that we don't become tired of recognizing, let's go again. Let's pull out the weeds and let's make sure that we invest in the things that we want to do and do well. See, the big idea of Scripture is that Jesus didn't write a book. He didn't write a worship album. He didn't start a charity or build a coffee shop. Now, all those things are good things. But what he did do is leave behind the people. He left you and I to bring his kingdom, to carry his message, to love people well. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians 3, 2 and 3. You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. You might be thinking to yourself, well, look, if you started this journey 10 years ago, why is it not finished yet? Let me tell you something. that In a world obsessed with speed, never forget that things of real worth and value take time. So we're going to go again. Culture matters. And that's what we're going to spend the next seven weeks looking at. Now, what I want to do briefly is introduce the five culture statements that we have intentionally chosen to say, this is the people that we want to be. This is the way we want to live. But we're going to take more time in the coming weeks to unpack how this really works in our lives. So what is it? Our five culture statements. Here we go. Honor. Generosity. Authenticity. Acceptance. And courage. 
These are the things that we want to define us. And I don't know whether you've noticed, but the culture around us is changing. I was listening to a pastor from Birmingham um, just this last week who was sharing about the tattoos being an example of that. Now, I remember the time when tattoos were a little bit of a taboo subject. I mean, if you went a little bit further back even, I'm sure people across the room thinking, actually, someone with a tattoo, they're a certain type of person, all right? But actually, things have changed, haven't they, in the last 20-odd years? It's, you know, started by people like David Beckham and other kind of movie stars who started putting kind of ink to flesh and, and crafting art across their bodies. It's the fact now, I saw a study that said that 38% of young people between 18 and 29 have at least one tattoo. There you go. Coffee culture would be another one. So I remember as a kid actually thinking, oh, the, the new, the latest craze was this kind of Nescafe gold blend, where you can have a beautifully smooth cup of coffee instantly, and you just have a spoon. Well, of course, it's not like that anymore, is it? You know, the, the culture now is that we would go to an independent coffee shop or, you know, somewhere which is going to craft the beans at the perfect temperature and make sure that kind of all the right toppings and milk combinations are all going to be weaved together and, and served probably by a big burly barista with a tattoo down his arm, right? And the reason I know that culture's changed here is because I say to people, hey, would you like to go out for a coffee with me? But I don't drink coffee. So there's something that's obviously there which is now ingrained in us because this is just how we socialize. Now, it's possible at times that as the church, we want to copy certain things that we see in the world and think, man, if we could just get that in here, you know, we want to sort out the lighting system in here so there's, you know, stunning uh, pyrotechnics all over the place. We're going to have a smoke machine and, and a big platform where, you know, the preacher can run down and burst into song at the same time, am I right? Those kind of things might be awesome. And then something else that we do often is, is we kind of point to things that we see kind of out in society, and we kind of try and avoid it, maybe mock it or, or treat it with some disdain. Music, movies, television, social media, it's possible that we retreat, that we pull away, sometimes judging the things that are kind of beyond the walls of the church, wag the finger and condemn. But what's interesting is that the Bible says, John 3:17, for God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And I do believe there is something unique here within the church. I do. From the moment that I kind of walked in, kind of that very first evening, I felt something, something different, something in the place, in the people, in the way that they connected with one another. It's something that I've come to recognize as the presence of God, just bursting out of the people of God. And it's that which is different, which nothing else can replicate. And actually, I don't want to copy those things. Sure, we can learn all sorts of lessons in the same way as we can be provoked by a coffee shop story. But actually, there's something about the people of God coming together. We gather to engage in his presence in order to scatter, because we are to bring his kingdom everywhere that we go. You see, the culture of heaven is to be, um, is to be revealed in incarnational living, not just words on a page. How we live reveals what God is like. And people should see the culture of heaven by their experience of the interactions they have with us. Is that true of you? Do people see something different in the way you live, in the way that you speak, in the way that you love others? See, our call according to Scripture is to be the salt of the earth, to be like yeast working through dough, to be the light of the world. And it's to bring the culture of heaven and the kingdom of God every place that we go. So let's look at these five things, okay? Firstly, honor. Romans 12 says this. Don't just pretend to love others. <laughs> really love them. 
Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. You see, we need to recognize that each one of us has intrinsic value. Not because the number of likes you might get or the number of followers you might have, but actually we have value because of the fact that we're made in the image and likeness of God. My, uh, my daughter seems to have got this. She uh, was going to a party yesterday. She'd got herself into this beautiful little white dress and she'd kind of just come outside to me wearing her cute little pink cardigan. She's four years of age. And uh, I, I said to her, Alexi, you're so pretty. She looked at me and said, I know. See, she's got it. Even from an early age, there's something about the fact that she realizes that God hasn't made rubbish. Now, I don't know about you, but I haven't always lived with that kind of confidence. And actually, for a long time, I was deeply insecure about both my behaviors and the way that I looked. Like, there was something about wanting to gain people's approval, trying to make people like me to try and just bring something that might be of value so that they would be a a friend or, or, or think that I'm worthwhile having around. It's a strange thing as a 38-year-old guy that I was even in, um, in next to the day in the changing room, kind of caught myself in the mirror, and I'm thinking, man, you really don't have any hair, do you? <laughs> it's been a lot of years now, but yet sometimes those kind of insecurities that you live with, and, and yet kind of God starts to redefine the fact that you stop thinking about yourself and what the mirror says of you. And actually what I want to do is believe the truth of what he says. I remember being at a Father's Heart conference, one of the first ever ones that we run, and um, there was a guy there... Who, who said this, it's like, okay, our call is to, is to love, our, love our neighbor as ourself, or love your neighbor as yourself. But if you don't love yourself, God help your neighbor. I remember uh, an occasion where we were in a staff team here at church, and uh, there was a lady who had come to just do some ministry stuff with us, her name was Angela, and uh, she was uh, kind of praying for others and asking God you know, how he might ask each individual to respond. And she looked at me and she said, Steve, I, I want you to do something for me. I was like, okay. And she said, I want you to stand up, and uh, the, the rest of the team are going to be around you. I mean, I guess there must have been 15 people there, perhaps. And she said, what I want you to do is, is just look each one of them one by one in the eye and simply say, I'm a good guy. I'm a good guy. I'm a good guy. And I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I, I, I so was the kind of brokenness in my heart. I, 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 didn't, I didn't have the sense of belief, and, and I wanted to. And these guys were, were pleading, come on, you can do it, Steve, it's all right. But I'm there, and I'm, I'm, it takes what feels like an age, minute after minute, as I'm just trying to put words to what I'm being asked to do. Such was the, the depth of brokenness at times. It's a dangerous place to be sometimes in this church where people are around you who are not willing to allow you to talk badly of yourself. I know for a long time, and it wasn't kind of crazy extreme. I think it dropped off all expletives from the sentences I was using, but I would often speak badly of myself, even in a kind of work setting. So I'd call myself, I'd, oh, you clown. Oh, Steve, oh, you're such a fool. You know, oh, that was a schoolboy error. That was a phrase I used a lot. Now, this was all fine until I started sitting opposite Wendy Mann. So her and my desk were opposite one another. And uh, on every occasion when I would do something like that, she was like, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, what? She, you said what about a son of God right now? No, a, 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 a child of the most high? I'm sorry, he's what? And uh, you know, suddenly my behavior began to change because there were people around me who loved me enough to say, I'm not going to allow you to do that. I'm not going to allow you to speak about yourself in that way. I wonder whether we could make this place Somewhere it's not safe for us to speak badly of ourselves in that way. 
Maybe ask yourself in these next few days, how is your self-talk? Are you able now to look at yourself in the mirror and actually speak the words of, of the Bible over yourself to be like, actually, I am a creation made in the image of God. He knit me together in my mother's womb, and he does not make mistakes. If you think that you are not a success, let me tell you this. Just think about this for a moment, okay? Of all the millions of sperm released, only one got to fertilize the egg. That's why you are you. You won the race. You're welcome. <laughs> and you know what? You did a pretty good job of being born too, because you even got a certificate to prove it. All right? <laughs> There's always something amazing to be thankful for. You know, honor is something that actually, even when people don't deserve it, because he has given it to us, people shouldn't need to earn it, and we can now give it to other people. I was walking through town yesterday, and uh, I had my youngest son with me. He's just over one years old. He's away in the buggy. And I'm, I'm in a little bit of a rush back and forth, kind of buying some uh, birthday cards and stuff. And um, I walk past twice a guy who's selling the big issue. And uh, what's, the only thing that's noticeable about him is the fact that he hasn't been noticed. He's literally standing in the center of the street, and he's trying to approach people. People are quickly turning away and moving fast. And so twice I go past him. And then I feel like just a little, that little tap. You ever get that little tap of, actually, you need to stop right now? And so I walk, I'm probably 100 meters beyond him, and, and, but I, I think to myself, no, what have I got? And so I had a 10-pound note in my pocket. I had a tsunami of love coin in my wallet. And so I decided just to go back to him. I kind of wrap the two together. And uh, I speak to this guy for a moment and just say, hey, do you know what? I've walked past you twice now, but I just want to tell you that, that you are noticed. And there's a God who loves you and that he's for you. And this guy just suddenly gets so emotional, he kind of chokes up with tears in his eyes. And you know, in that moment, he says to me, and I, I, you know, I offer to pray for him. I get to pray for him and his family. He's got a two-day-old two daughter. He's from Slough. He'd kind of been sent there for the day. And um, you know, I got to pray for his partner and his two kids. And he said to me, Steve, this, um, this money means that me and my family will eat for a night. Thank you so much. Sometimes it's just those little nudges, you know, that communicate value, that communicate honor, that give us the opportunity of doing something remarkable. You know, and honor is actually, it's a position of the heart, but it overflows in activity. Our actions should be different because of the place that we are at. So it could be as simple as listening well, as remembering someone's name, as looking someone in the eye. It could be as simple as being on time. Actually, that, that, that communicates honor and value. And one of the things that you'll have noticed, perhaps, if you've been here any length of time, is that oftentimes some people stand to welcome those who come forward. Now, whether that is someone who's speaking like I am today, or whether that's someone bringing a contribution, or to be honest, just sharing their story. Now, every single person you see has value and has dignity and intrinsic worth. And actually, that is a recognition of the fact that this person is made in the image of God, and I'm going to value them in my heart. But you know, even that can become a religious act. You can become, do it out of habit, right? Oh, this is not what we do, and oh, it's just, my heart's not in it. Just don't do it if your heart's not in it. But what's interesting is there are two things that happen in me. You see, when I stand, I know that there's a choice inside of me that says, I'm going to honor this person. I'm going to recognize the fact that they are gifted. They, they have been crafted uniquely, and their contribution is of value to God. And so what happens is, as I do that, I begin to engage with them in a different kind of way. And what's also interesting, as someone who might come and speak from time to time, is that when people do that, 
actually, there is a pull on me. I speak in a number of different environments, okay? So from time to time, I'll speak at Alpha courses, where oftentimes there is a, a high proportion of people who are not Christians. And what tends to happen is that people will kind of cross their arms, sit back, and be like, right, impress me. It's like, it can be quite daunting. It's kind of awkward. I'm like, you know, what, what, do you, what do you want right now? You know, prove it. But actually, my favorite place to speak is actually with our training for supernatural ministry school. Because there's something about the honor that they show you which pulls on you. And it lifts your game. It, kind of, it, it, it suddenly realizes that you're getting so much more out of it. And actually, as people engage with you around the room, even if it's just little things of, of, of noises that make sure that they, they're communicating, actually, they, they, they want this. And yes, that makes sense. And you know, suddenly, it, it draws the very best out of those who are speaking to you. And right now, you're all thinking about how do I smile or respond or laugh in the right places. I get it. But actually, you've got to know that these things are important. I know when we had one of our MPs come here and simply did a reading at a carol service, I'll tell you what was stunning. Forget about the political bias. Forget about the, forget about the party that he represented. As the whole church stood to honor this guy's service and sacrifice and decisions that he made, do you know what? It moved him. It moved him. He was so emotional about the whole thing. He couldn't quite contain himself. Let me tell you about a guy called Andy Kind. Now, Andy, some of you guys will know. He's a good friend of our church now. He's been here a number of different times. The first time he came was four or five years ago. And he was, you won't perhaps know this part, but he has communicated it publicly now. He was right on the edge of walking away from comedy. He's one of the best communicators I know. But he was right on the edge of walking away from it. But what happened that night, that first night he came here, just to do some straight-up comedy, is that everyone gave him a stand-up ovation before he began. He didn't know what to do with himself. And yet he, he delivered this material out of his skin. It was remarkable. And he points back to a time that God moved that day as being that he shifted it, his whole perspective. And now he's an evangelist traveling around communicating the beauty of the gospel in so many ways. You did that. We did that together through honor, through love of people. Your words have power. And they have the opportunity to bring life or death. How will you use them? And it's, and it's not just about standing to applaud someone. It could be through a text message, through a written note, through a card, through a Facebook post. Your words of encouragement change people on the inside, and they can bring life. What will you do with them? I'm going to do the others four a little bit quicker, okay? Generosity. 1 Timothy 6 says, Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. I'm so proud of this church. We are an incredibly generous people, sacrificial in so many ways, in in kind of service and finances and even the fact that we've given out 10,000 coins to you guys. And I know that there's hundreds of stories that are coming up of people just wanting to be generous around the place. And what I know is that generosity moves people. It really does. We could be people who serve everyone as if we're serving Jesus himself. Because actually, that scripturally is true. I remember years ago, it was long before we had the tsunami of love coins, there was a, an occasion that I decided to go out with a group of people to find people who are serving publicly, just to want to give them a, a gift and a card to say, thank you for serving our town. And there was a particular traffic warden that I stumbled across and uh, I just kind of stopped her. She was a little bit distant immediately. But I just kind of stopped her and said, hey, look, this is, this is just a card and a small gift here to say thank you for the way that you serve Bedford. 
you know, we really appreciate the fact that you take care of our roads. And she looked at me and tears started coming out of her eyes. And she, she said to me that that day, simply that day, someone had tried to run over her feet. Someone had told her they wished that she got cancer and died. And, you know, someone had spat at her. It's a lady trying to do her job, by the way. And then suddenly, the culture and the kingdom of heaven come against that. And we get the opportunity of ministering and loving on her. You have that kind of power, you know. Yeah. People who are in desperate positions. You know, this, um, we're only a week away from uh, Halloween. Now, Halloween, historically, uh, I used to find very uncomfortable having become a Christian. Okay? So what I would tend to do is I would turn all the lights out and go and hide in the back room. Anyone else want to admit to that? This is just what I was doing. I'm like, I don't want to celebrate darkness and all those difficult stuff, okay? Actually, God spoke to me a few years ago about the fact that actually there's no other day in the calendar when actually people come to my door instead of me going to theirs. And what an amazing privilege it could be for us to love on people who are um, out engaging with community. And so this is the pumpkin that I put outside of my house. Um, it says light of the world. That's my little handicraft. Hope you like that. And... Um, what we would do is simply, as people knocked on the door, I'd open the door and say, hey, great to see you. Do you know what? We actually don't tend to celebrate Halloween, but listen, we love it when people come to our doors. Let me fill your bags full of goodies. And so we'd just extravagantly bless them. And then what I would say is, hey, look, and, and how would you feel about it? I'd love just to pray blessing on you. Would that be all right? And do you know what? In the years that I've been doing it, not once has anyone refused prayer. You and I can do that. You realize that. So we've got something like 10 days until Halloween night, okay? And I just want to prog you, right out in the foyer right now, there are these two things. There's the tsunami of love coins that we've been giving away, and there are these cards. Now, these cards are called the true hero, and they simply introduce people to the fact that actually Jesus is the king of light, okay? Now, if you want to take a bunch of them, and just give them away liberally and lavishly as people come to your door. I think we could do something amazing that night, okay? Generosity is significant. Authenticity. 1 John 1 says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Now, I guess that I'm like most people, okay, in that I want to put my kind of best side forward when it comes to kind of social media stuff. In fact, you'll be pleased to know that Kim Kardashian's tip for taking a selfie is to take 300 pictures and then choose the best one. <laughs> but there's a real danger in life, and actually there's a real danger in church, that what we portray to the world actually is a mask, and it's not real. We can put on this kind of fictitious front and try and demonstrate what we think people want to see of us. Now, I remember going through this culture journey and people speaking about authenticity and people saying that, hey, it's, it's so critical because you can't love a mask that we have people around us where we take the mask off and we choose to be real about our struggles and our challenges and about our past. Now, every time I would hear this, there was a kind of pang inside of me because I thought, you know what? There's, there's some darkness inside of me and my past that I don't really want to share with people. But recognizing this reality that people can't truly know you and can't truly love you unless we're willing to do this, I decided that I was going to give it a go. At risk of people rejecting me and, and saying that, actually, you're so broken and twisted, we want nothing to do with you. 
I got two friends. One was called Rory, one was called Jim. And uh, I wrote out what must have been eight or ten pages worth of the bleakest, darkest, most secretive things that I'd ever done. And I did it because I realized that I, I wouldn't be able to share it unless I did this. So I wrote down page after page after page, and um, as I sat down with them, I, I, I kind of read through this stuff, holding it tightly and shaking and, and, and kind of weeping, making the whole thing very wet, just going through all the pain and all the sexual brokenness and all the mistakes that I'd made. And then <sighs> without saying anything initially, once I'd finished and kind of collapsed in a heap, Rory came and he grabbed these bits of paper and he walked over to the fireplace, lit a match, and he set that whole thing alight. But you know the freedom that came because of it? As they walked up to me and just embraced me and hugged me as I'm sobbing, and I just realized that I can be clean and pure and known. This is what walking in the light does. There'll be some people here, even as I'm saying this, who are thinking, do you know what? I've got that same heartbeat going right now. Do people know everything? You know, it's not even a one-time only event. Last week, we were away for a few days, Philippa and I, and then kind of came back, and I'd said all the kind of highlights and all the nice stuff. And, but in the midst of people asking me, well, how are you doing? I had to stop. I'm thinking, do you know what? Actually, Monday was a really tough day. And I was miserable with Philippa. I got really cross with my kids, and actually I felt really flat. But suddenly, even sharing that for a moment, I've got people who love me or around me who are then, suddenly hope comes back into the room, and suddenly they pray for me, and suddenly things actually are lifted in a way that only God can. I love what this guy James Sherman, James R. Sherman says. I just saw it last week. He said, you can't go back and create a new beginning, but you can start now and create a new ending. This is what authenticity does, my friends. I wonder, you know, sometimes if people think that coming down from ministry at the end of a meeting is a sign of weakness, when actually I want to say to you that it's a sign of strength. It's a sign and a recognition of the fact that actually we need God to break in. I cannot do this on my own. I need his supernatural empowering I need to be real with people so that I can fulfill the mandate of what he's called me to. We talked about acceptance. Colossians 3 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if you have any grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. You know, I love the diversity in this community. There's uh, kind of young and older, there's rich and poorer, and even people who are not yet followers of Jesus, people who don't believe are so welcome to be here. If you are not a Christian here, I just want to say you're so welcome. Come and be part of our church family. I know one of the, the staff who's here actually had about two years of coming along, getting involved in even group life, but actually before he made a decision to put his trust in Jesus. We um, want this to be a place of genuine acceptance. It's interesting, my, my daughter, she can be so provoking. Say four years of age, we were at a party recently where there was a girl who, to be honest, wasn't being very nice. And uh, there was a few different people, but even to Lexi, kind of pushed her. And so us being the parents we are, we're like, if you, why don't you just, just keep your distance from her, darling? 
You know, just, it's, it's, just, it's just not good to be around. Lexi came back with, no, 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 I want to invite her to my party because I want to show her how to be kind. Listen, she's not always like that, all right? <laughs> we, were in, we were in McDonald's last week, literally next to another, another table where there's a lady and daughter sat, and she literally loudly and pointing, she says, look, that girl's mummy doesn't eat with her mouth closed. <laughs> I'm like, Lexi, this is just getting me into trouble. I love this quote. It's, love the ones you think deserve it the least, as they're often the ones who need it the most. Love the ones you think deserve it the least. They're often the ones who need it the most. And you know what? Group life is absolutely essential, my friends. Like being part of a community here where you can truly be known, truly accepted, is so key. Even yesterday, I spent time with, with my group, and we went out for a walk, and we had a great time. And I know what's going on in their lives. I know their struggles. I know what, who we're praying for in their family. I know what's going on in their, their, their work. And, and we just get to chat and connect. And they know, and they accept me. They kind of accept the slightly competitive elements of me, and you know, they even remind me of my quirks, because it's only in this last week or so when they've told me that apparently when I do announcements, I do this with a microphone looking like a rapper. <laughs> Who knew? So if I do that again, you can uh, stop. Yeah, yes, I do. I knew. I didn't realize. The thing is, we can't do this mission alone, and we can't live this culture alone. Over the summer, there was one particular day when I drove from my house in Brickhill over to, to, to King's house. Three different people at three different points. I saw individuals who I know who'd come along to an Alpha course, who'd had a major life-transforming uh, experience with us, given their lives to Jesus and started connecting with the church. But on each of those three occasions, I looked at them and realized that actually they don't come anymore and they're a long way from God. I find that so painful. But the thing is, we can't do this alone. It's going to take all of us to be the most welcoming, hospitable, accepting community that we possibly can, to be able to hold on and to love people well so that that seed that's gone out lands in good soil. Let me just do the last one real quick. Hebrews 12, in regard to courage, shows us this model that Jesus demonstrates for us let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you might not grow weary and lose heart. There are going to be challenging situations and circumstances that we're going to face. There's going to be things in your life for the things that God's called you to, which are going to demand you to demonstrate courage. But Bear Grylls, the um, kind of Christian adventurer, says being brave isn't the absence of fear. Being brave is having that fear and finding a way through it. And you know, I've just got these dreams of for Bedford. I want to see Bedford changed. And even in these last few weeks, there's been things that made me think, you know, we've got to see transformation here in a whole new way. I was sat in Costa. And on the table next to me were two girls who were having this conversation. And the conversation went a little bit like this. I'm going to be soon old enough to get an ID. And I want to make my hair as natural and as, as common as possible so that I can sell that ID, make some money so that other people can use it as a fake. And then went on to talk about the fact that 
sexuality for them. Actually, it's something that they just want to throw away. There was one girl trying to convince another, you, just, you don't want to leave it too long to lose your virginity. It just gets awkward. Just get out of the way. Let's just move through this stuff. I'm just thinking, God, is this, is this how our young people are taught and are thinking? I'm getting more and more involved with the police right now. I've been very aware of the two stabbing incidences that have happened recently in, in our town. And I'm thinking to myself, this can't, this can't be. This needs to change. What about Bedford Prison? Recognizing that it's one of the worst evaluated in the whole country. What are we going to do? How are we going to demonstrate courage to bring the transformation that we want to do? Where does it all begin? You know, if we're going to see God's kingdom come, we're going to need each other. And we're going to need to make a commitment to make these changes in our lives. These things aren't going to happen from fear. Who are you? You're a child of God. With value and with worth. You have the mind of Christ. And when you walk into a room, hope walks in with you. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You are an ambassador for Christ. And his light will burn brightly through you. Each one of us have got to give him the opportunity. Honor, generosity, authenticity, acceptance, courage. This is who we want to become. It's our destination. This is where we're going. So why don't we stand together?